Chapter 24 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 24, in which is given some account of the intercollegiate contest, and in which we bid our kind professor a long farewell. Say, I went to Holy Communion this morning, said Frank, as he came upon me in the yard after breakfast on a certain beautiful spring morning. Why, Frank? For the Ciceronians. Other fellows went too, and there were lots of prayers said for you. Thank you, Frank. I prayed for you to get a second place of honor. Indeed. Yes, you see, Percy's first on my list. He's the best boy alive. Then Tom comes next. He should get first place of honor. Of course, all the fellows thought in the beginning of the year that you'd come out ahead. But you've been so bothered about Mrs. Rayner that you've given Percy and Tom a chance to catch up. Of course, you don't expect me to like you as much as I do Percy and Tom. Frank gazed at me in anxiety. I laughed. I'm glad that you like me at all, Frank. I believe you are, said our honest little man. I've known them longer than I've known you, but you and Harry Quip are third and equal, and you can bet on me for a friend, and I do hope you'll get second place on the list of honor. You begin working at it at nine o'clock this morning, don't you? Yes, Frank. Well, I hope you'll all do your best. You look heavy round the eyes, Harry. Didn't you sleep well last night? Not as well as usual. Indeed, I fear that few of our Ciceronian society had slept well that night. We had been in a feverish state the preceding morning and could not even take part in the sports of early spring with any relish. For my own part, my sleep was disturbed by unpleasant dreams— I held several interviews with my ghostly uncle, at one of which he informed me that there would be no intercollegiate medal given out if I neglected to bring the murderer to justice. Well, the day had come. How we bent ourselves to our work. The theme, though not extremely difficult, was quite long. I don't think that a single one of us Ciceronians so much looked at each other during the four hours allowed us for our effort. What a groan of dismay went forth when Mr. Middleton announced that but fifteen minutes were left. Then, indeed, there was much scurrying and scratching of pens. Time was called at length, and each boy handed in his paper, signed, but not with his own name, but with a nom de plume his own name with the corresponding nom de plume he put into an envelope and delivered to the vice president of the college. The papers themselves were to be sent on to the donor of the medal, who was to put them into the hands of the three competent and unprejudiced Latin scholars. These were to select ten papers in the order of their merit— the first in merit gaining the prize and the others taking the nine places of honor. The judges themselves, according to this plan, could have no more idea as to who were the leaders than the boys most interested. Boys, said Mr. Middleton, when we were about to leave the classroom, one remark. You all know how heartily I wish you success in this contest. 
But permit me to congratulate you now for what is far better. I congratulate you, my dear boys, on what, as Johnson truly says, is more than success, on your deserving it. You have done your duty. That is the essential. Success is the accident. Calm and logical as these words may appear in type, they were spoken with such feeling that when Mr. Middleton came to the words, you have done your duty, there was a quiver in his voice, and we felt more than repaid for all our endeavors. Much as I'd like to get the medal, said Tom, I'd rather get words like that from Mr. Middleton than any prize they can put up. What names did you take, boys? I took Sik Itur ad Astra, said Percy, and I, Guadiamus Igatur Juvenus de Sumus, said Quip. Mine was Parturiant Montes, laughed Brothers. Miserere me Deus, said I. That's near mine, Richards exclaimed. I took Inte Dominine Sparave. And I went to Horace for mine, said Tom. Nil arui mortabolus, silum ipsum pedimus. And then I left out a word because I thought the examiners might find it between the lines of the whole theme. Oh, said Percy, I remember it. Silum ipsum pedimus stultitia. Young gentlemen cried, Tom. The Ciceronian society is adjourned synodia. We'll now go to bed early and get ready to play those juniors of the large yard another game and see whether we can't do them up as we did last year. We got ready accordingly, played the juniors, and were defeated pretty badly. Keenan and Donnell were against us. June came, and with it a renewal of that sweetest of devotions, devotion to the Sacred Heart. We Ciceronians were all members of the League— Indeed, with the exception of myself, all of us were promoters. During the month, I learned more fully the secret of Tom's meekness and Percy's sweetness of disposition. It was the night of closing exercises. We Ciceronians were huddled together in the hall, and how we did growl at the music and speech-making and singing. When these things had come to an end, we breathed a hearty thanks. There's the president going up. Why doesn't he hustle, growled Tom. Oh, gracious, he's got to dispose of those graduates first. Then we'll get our innings. Not one of us attended to the conferring of degrees or listened with the least bit of interest to the able lawyer who addressed the graduates for something over an hour. At length, our innings came. The gold medal in the intercollegiate contest between six competing colleges has been awarded to a student of St. Moore's. Winner, Percy Wynn. The applause, which we Ciceronians broke into, ably supplemented as it was by the entire audience, would have startled the echoes of a muffled hall. Harry Quip and myself were necessitated to hold Tom Playfair down by main force, for he had jumped to his feet at the name and was about to disgrace us by dancing, a feat, by the way, which Frank Burdock, who, with his father, was in another part of the hall, did actually perform to the smiling amusement of the astonished audience. Places of honor, continued the vice president, when the applause under which Percy was blushing violently had subsided. First, Tom Playfair and Harry D. equal. 
both of St. Moore's. Tom and myself came very near blushing and were happier than if we had won the medal. After all, we knew Percy was our superior, and had either of us outstripped him, we would have felt that we were the favored children of luck. You may be sure that our fellow members, as the applause continued, shook our hands and pulled us about in an ecstasy of happiness. Third place, John Ray of a competing college. There was silence. Hooray for John Ray, boys, whispered Tom. Let's applaud him. The people followed where we led. Fourth place, Harry Quip of St. Moore's. Caesar, ejaculated Harry, his merry face taking on the hue of an angry sunset and retaining its color long after the clapping of hands had subsided. Fifth place, John Sinek of a competing college. Sixth place, John Robertson of a competing college. Seventh, Joseph White of St. Moore's. Eighth, Charles Siebert of a competing college. Ninth, Charles Richards of St. Moore's. Each of us named for a place of honor was presented by the president with a book, and as the audience realized that we, the successful competitors, were, with the exception of Richards, small boys in knickerbockers, they fairly went wild. Some among them must have got a hint of this magnificent victory for St. Moore's, for bouquets came flying upon the stage. Nothing could be seen of Percy presently but his high shoes, his silk stockings, and his eyes and forehead. Percy's ten sisters were in attendance, and I have a strong suspicion that each one sent him a bouquet. Our hero of the hour, as the flowers still came, was in quite a predicament when, to his relief, Master Frank Burdock came bounding upon the stage, his eyes flashing with excitement. I'll help you, Percy, he piped. Let them come on with their baskets. The biggest is the one I sent. And amid fresh applause, Master Frank relieved Percy of a few of his bouquets and escorted his friend off the stage. Tom was also laden with flowers, for which I'm quite certain Percy's sisters were largely responsible. Nor were the rest of us forgotten. We could have combined that night and set up a fine florist's establishment. None of us took interest in what followed. We soon stole out of the hall and shook each other's hands over and over. Willie Ruthers had received no mention, but, as he naively remarked, we humanities boys don't want the earth. Some of us had to fall through, but next year, see if I'm not on. Next day, we went in a body to bid Mr. Middleton farewell. Our beloved professor was to leave us. His college work, for some years at least, was over. Aha! he exclaimed gaily as we entered his room. Here are my little Ciceronians. But what's the use of my congratulating you on your success? The great thing is that you've deserved it. He shook each of us warmly by the hand, nevertheless, and how sweetly, kindly did those gentle eyes of his shine upon us. Mr. Middleton, said Percy, you're going away? Yes, but after what happened last night, I can leave the field of my college labors saying with holy Simeon, Nunc Dimittis servium tum domine in pace. Well, Mr. Middleton, continued Percy gravely, 
We've come to bid you goodbye. All of us have been under you for several years, all of us long enough to love you. You have taught us to love our books, to love our religion, to love one another, and in teaching us all this to love you. Should we never meet again, Mr. Middleton? Here, Percy's voice almost broke, and all of us cleared our throats. You may be sure that we shall not forget you. Day and night our prayers shall rise to God, that he may bless you and prosper you in all your ways. And should any of us go wrong for a time, should we forget your kind words, should we give up the pious practices you have taught us by example more than word, we should become such that we would not wish to meet you. Oh, Mr. Middleton, I can't go on. And we all broke down with Percy. That last artless touch, more powerful than his prepared speech, overmastered us all. And the brave, strong, earnest man we all loved so well turned his face from us, bent his head, and placed his hand upon his brow. God bless you, my dear boys. Goodbye. With that benediction upon us, we left him, and none of us spoke till we had reached our yard. There we found Donnell and Keenan awaiting us and looking unusually grave. Goodbye, boys, they said. We're going for good. What? Where? General astonishment. John's going off to seminary at Baltimore, and I'm going to the novitiate to try and become a Jesuit. There was a great deal of handshaking. Though we spoke softly, parting is ever a sorrow, no matter how sweet. We had always looked up to George and John as model boys and leaders. None of us was surprised at the step they were about to take. Some of us envied them. For all this, our parting was sad. And so we broke up for the vacation. Changes were marking the inexorable flight of time. When we returned, we missed three whom we had loved from their accustomed places, and we realized then that these changes, sad as they are, must go on year after year, till upon each of us comes the great change beyond which there is no shadow of vicissitude, no parting but everlasting peace and deathless reunion. End of chapter 24